We who are about to die salute you. Hey, how's it going, everybody? This is Chris and Chris, and it is Moratory Monday, episode 18, where we're going to be discussing, well, Strike Force Moratory number 18. How you doing this week, uh, Chris? I am doing wonderful, sir. I'm in the middle of a little project here in uh, St. John's, Newfoundland. It is. I am part of the the the, the great hero basement purge. <laughs> so basically, <laughs> basically during my holidays, my wife has tasked me with the uh, inevitable, <laughs> inevitable task of uh, cleaning up our storage room. Now, there's lots of fun to be had there because I'm uncovering a whole bunch of stuff that I never knew. Number one, that a I owned mm-hmm. uh, things that I've never read before in my life, comic books that I've never seen before that uh, I may possibly have stolen. I don't even know. <laughs> and of course, toys, all the wonderful toys that I'm uncovering. And last night I found Thundercats, Supernaturals, and what else did I find here? And Karate Fighters. So this Ooh. episode officially is sponsored by Karate Fighters. Oh, we, we need to have a holiday tournament with the, <laughs> those Karate yes. Fighters. Oh, they're so much fun. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, I'm having a, a very similar thing here, and uh, it's also spurred on by the better half. Uh, she's just like really, really annoyed of having to step over piles of comics to like do anything. So. Oh no, you got to keep that stuff clean. That's the only way oh, it stays in the house, bro. It's true. It's true. And uh, I, I started with like one room full, and uh, she was, you know, patient and uh, kind <laughs> and beneficent. Is that a word? Enough to uh, allow me to you know monopolize an entire room with the comics, and then uh, that dripped into two. And now it's a uh, it's it's getting close to being a complete three. I, I've almost overtaken the the living room. Uh, so that's uh, I mean we could actually use the stacks of comics as furniture right now in the living room. So listen, bro, it, it, if uh, when the time comes when your wife sits on a copy of Spider Man in the Mad Dog <laughs> Ward, it's time to clean that stuff up, bro. Just no uh, just letting you know. No doubt, it's a uh, it's just all the. Uh, it, it's so strange it's all the projects that uh, that we work on it's everything just goes somewhere and uh it never goes back to where it originally came from unfortunately so just just leave her something really good to read around like don't have crap that's the thing so so if she goes to pick it up and all of a sudden she's like hey what's this elf quest then there all of a sudden go. she's three pages in and then she's finished the first quest then she's like on the siege on the mountain and the whole nine yards <laughs> <laughs> Then you so got her, bro. Then you got her. So I uh, definitely leave the uh, the the Super Pro and uh, all that stuff somewhere else, right? Don't leave uh, US One and Team America, right? <laughs> well, Team America's a little endearing, right? Team America's fantastic. All that stuff is is yes. a wonderful eighty schlock. I'd love it. Absolutely. But uh, we are here to uh, discuss more Tory stuff here and. Since last time out, we wrapped up our uh, recruit mission, our recruit uh, storyline scenario. We've got something new. We've got the oh. yeah, we've got something new here. We're uh, 
you know, we love this series so much. Um, and it is so, uh, so I wouldn't say unloved, but it's just so under the radar, you know, um, people don't really talk about this. And when they do, the first thing they say is, wow, that should be a TV show. And they, they don't really think about anything below that. It's all very surface level stuff here. So we figure, hey, you know what? This should be a TV show. And, uh, might be a little bit cheaper, maybe a little bit more cost-effective to, rather than hire all the, you know, the fabulous actors and movie stars out there, maybe we do it, uh, we do it old school here. We, 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 uh, we pitch something animated, you know? Absolutely. So I call this segment, and it's not the recruit segment, I call these segments that are coming forward Pitch Force Moratory, and the entire mm-hmm. thing is to pitch the world of Strike Force Moratory in areas where you would not think. And we're going to start with Strike Force Moratory, the animated series. That's mm-hmm. right, the animated series. So just picture this. So it's the uh, the year is 1988-86, just before the comic arrived. Um, and we're going to start out with a Saturday morning cartoon. Now this mm-hmm. is the. I always dreamed of this from uh, from the company FHE, Family Home Entertainment, which you've seen on many uh, VHS video cassettes back in the day. And sure. I felt it was going to be packaged as like a six-episode uh, season or anything like that, something that fit nice and neat on one VHS tape. So, gotcha. So if this would this would later be bundled as uh, Strike Force Moratory, the animated series from um, FHE called The Fall Yearbook. So. There you go. So you ready to jump in? And I'll I give am, you my. We'll so share with the. Is, yeah. Yeah. What is uh? What is FHE? Is that like? Is that like where like the the, the letters FHE would be like drawn in like lowercase and it would be like the wow wow sound? You got it. Those they are a uh, VHS or a video distribution service that uh, sponsored mostly Canadian uh, not Canadian shows. My God. Uh, well, children's they, they, shows. Children's shows. Absolutely. So, I, I uh, you remember know. that. Yeah, I just didn't know because, I mean, growing up, like anytime you'd go to the video store, you'd pick up a new, you know, kids tape or something. And they all had these different distributors and they all had like the weird and we've talked about the the like the, the scary logos before. Oh, they all had like that weird sort of ethereal sort of sound and just a very uncanny feeling to them. But uh, I, I just wasn't sure if I if I had the right one here because I. My first, my my mind initially goes to Deke always when it's uh, oh, this absolutely. kind of a thing, which is so, also kind of horrifying. So <laughs> it is indeed. <laughs> so FHE, just for some background, if you've ever watched a GI Joe tape in the eighties yes. or a Transformers mask pole position, any of that stuff, it's all by FHE. So those videos were packaged by those. So I grew up on that stuff, but. Uh, I usually, I even thought of how to place this show. So I thought of what season it would air, what's what, you know, Saturday morning lineup. So I did, I did a little bit of research. So I see this airing in 85, 86 and as before the comic, of course, and it airs on CBS during their Saturday morning lineup, which, uh, I'm going to air it between nine 30 and 10 AM. Now it's going to be wedged sandwiched in between Muppet babies and Hulk Hogan's rock and wrestling. That's right. Mm -hmm. That's what some of my favorite blocks back in the day. And, uh, it's actually going to replace the short-lived Muppet Babies spinoff. I bet you didn't know Muppet Babies had a spinoff, did you? No. It was called, very short-lived, called Little Muppet Monsters. You're kidding. No, sir. It exists. There is footage. And not Little only that. Muppet Monsters. Little Muppet Monsters. Yep. CBS Saturday morning. So we're canceling that, and we're going to go with six episodes of Strike Force Moratory. So here's the general pitch. Mm-hmm. 
So the story is about six teens who are attending the Moratory Academy. So now, kid, now this is a kid show. So we're gonna. There's some stuff that's gonna be reined in. We're taking the rated R out of this, folks. So <laughs> the 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 academy offers kids with extraordinary abilities. That sounds a little bit familiar. Mm-hmm. Uh, and only a select few get into this secret school. Now there's two teachers. One is Beth Neon. The other one is Yuri Pensakovich. I've I've just shortened his name so it's similar. To, <laughs> it's easier to <laughs> to pronounce. And they lead two very separate groups in training for a threat that's about to come to Earth. Now, they have one year to train these special kids before the horde reaches Earth. So we've done a little bit of tidying up. So we've uh, we've cleaned it up. So the one year thing is all about a horde, in, an impending horde invasion mm-hmm. and what's to come. So they have one year to get ready before the uh, literal Saturday morning poop hits the fan. Why don't you tell them about uh, Professor Beth? Certainly, certainly. Now, she is the Academy science teacher. And uh, Neon, is, she's the kid's biggest confidant, and uh, she knows for a fact that she has a very special group of exceptional students in her class. Between herself and Dr. Tolima, they train the kids secretly in a hidden laboratory and uh, also a training center known as the Garden. Ooh. Now, now, Beth does, just like in the comic, have powers of her own, but she, like in the comic, keeps them from Dr. Tolima, and only the students know her secret. Now, speaking of the students, we have Viking, which is the erstwhile teen, Harold Everson. Now, his powers are deflection and mind reading. He is also heavily interested in becoming the moratory leader of his group, but he struggles with the disapproval of his parents. But does he still have the one comic book? <laughs> we, we might give him a collection. I don't know. Maybe, maybe a limited series, a Marvel limited series. He one has, through four. He has one Atari 2600 cartridge, the uh, the last stand of the Black Watch that he just loves. And he's yes, that's perfect. <laughs> uh, next up, we have Snap. Uh, we know her as Snapdragon in the comic. This is Lorna, and uh, she is Harold's love interest and classmate. But she's got eyes for Big Robert, who we'll Ooh. meet in just a bit. Now, she can create plasma energy, but she also has the ability to shape it into inanimate, into animated objects with a snap similar to Green Lanterns. Now, uh, Le- Lorna is the top recruit of her group, and she's really, really into fitness. And this leaves Robert and Viking left, uh, you know, trying their damnedest to catch up. <laughs> now, speaking of Big Robert, he was known as Marathon in the comics. So they mm. sort of change it up here in the uh, in the cartoon like they, they were known to do. So he's known as Fort, and he's the jock with the mysterious past. He's got like a, he's got like self-consciousness issues in private. He's this big hulking guy, you know, out in public. But, you know, when he's by himself, he's got like serious self-conscious issues. So he's got a zest for fighting the horde, though. He can't wait to get started. He can't wait to get through his training. And he has the ability to grow bigger whenever he needs. So it's a little bit of a change in the little, uh, in how the comic handles him, where mm-hmm. he's just growing exponentially. He has the ability to grow bigger at will, basically. Now it comes in handy when fighting the horde, of course, but his powers are not yet refined as of right now. So he starts out with like a little bit of like a monster inside him, almost like a Hulk type deal where he has to try to keep it hidden. And he's learning how to control his monster and only a depth knows Robert's issues and tries to keep him under control. And they create that special bond around that. Mm-hmm. We've got Aileen, you know, Blackthorn. Now she's the bookworm of the group. She's also the ugly duckling of the group, or so she thinks. Now she spends most of her time studying and dreaming about Harold. Uh, she can melt things with her bare hands and she likes to build things in her spare time. 
She's obsessed with watching classic movies, and uh, she quotes famous li- movie lines much to the dismay of her teammates. <laughs> then we move on to Jaylene, adept. She's the problem solver of the group, and she can solve mysteries with forensic pre- precision. She's able to use her mind to see what happened in particular scenes, so it's really, really a useful a useful power right here. Uh, she's able to read people's minds in other languages, which is also cool. And we've done away with the the entire Christian spin. It's not mm. not entirely. So she has her moral values, but she's going to be the one who presents the moral side to this. So she's the one to grow on character. You know yeah. what I mean? Who who always teaches the team the moral lesson. Very cool. We have a. Uh, oh, this is weird. We have a uh, Mikhail. This is Splinter. A Russian foreign exchange student who has the ability to make things appear as they are not. Now, this is he's basically splinters reality. Uh, This is an ability that he uses to conceal himself. He's an outsider who really doesn't gel well with the rest of the team, especially Big Robert. Now, a spy in the class who works with another house on campus to report the secrets of Neon and Talima's moratorium experiment to another group. Uh, he uses Aileen's insecurities in order to win her over, and uh, and she sticks with him. Mm. And like every great 80s cartoon, we always have the comedy relief. So mm-hmm. I gave the team a mechanical cat named Weebo. Now, they, Weebo protects the kids from harm and solves problems in the background. So, you know, when the kids think they're one step ahead, we got Weebo working in the background helping them out. Now, the cat has heightened X-ray eyes, scent abilities, and can get into anywhere at any time. So the cat is basically comic relief for the team, but it's actually Harold's cat, who's secretly owned by the Eversons, his parents, to keep a watch on his son while away from home. What was the name of the uh, of the Critter and Kid video that they introduced halfway through? Oh, uh, Toolbot. There you go. There you go. That's that's what yes. this reminded me of. <laughs> that's exactly what it is. I'm telling you right now, every single show that lasted always had a comedy relief character, whether it was mm-hmm. Scrappy-Doo or Orko. Robbie the Robot, yeah. Orko, all good stuff. Now, we hop to the other end of the campus here, and we meet another professor. This is Yuri Porg... Yuri. It's, it's yeah. Professor Yuri. <laughs> professor uh, Yuri. Now, He's working on behalf of the Padilla, and uh, he has his own team of trainees working toward the same one-year goal, which is unbeknownst to the other house on campus. Uh, nobody knows that Yuri's son is Splinter, who is you know, secretly infiltrating Team Neon, as we'd mentioned. Now, his, uh, one of his top members, we got Radian, Louis Armanetti. Mm, now he's got he's the, working. He's working for the bad guys here. Yeah, he's on the other side of the fence here. Now he's got the ability to create bright lights and also pyro attacks, uh, probably like uh, Jubilee in the X Men cartoon with the uh, with the little poof poof poof, you know. Um, <laughs> now Louis is a conflicted recruit, and he's got feelings for Aileen over on Team Neon, and uh, he stumbles on the Horde secret invasion, but. He keeps that knowledge to himself, you know, because he doesn't know what the other team is secretly preparing either. Uh, Louis is, is Hispanic, but he doesn't have his mustache. Um, he is overall a very likable kid, but he does wear a heavy conscience. He is uh, very, very conflicted. Then we move to his other team members. One is Brava. She's a, like a big, buxom, almost She-Hulk type strong girl. She's a hard-nosed leader of Team Yuri, and she's no fan of Harold Everson or his crew. <laughs> she's a super competitive personality who hates to lose and constantly berates the guys on her team to work harder and, you know, like literally do more. And she's nicknamed Dom. Now, we <laughs> also see 
Sheer, which is Walter Fezig I don't know how to how to pronounce his last name. Fezig glue. Fezig crazy glue. Walter crazy glue. Walter crazy glue. His nickname is Fez. And uh, his powers include the ability to cut or shear things precisely. So he's the snobbish recluse, and I made him a vegan and also a CrossFit enthusiast. Now, mm-hmm. that was a little bit before our time, but he was, you know, he's... Uh, Whatever the he's 88 a, appro- 85 approximation yes. for CrossFit. Yeah. So maybe, maybe he like... He's a Jane Fonda workout guy. There, <laughs> sweating to the oldies, I don't jazzercizer. know. Jazzerciser. <laughs> jazzerciser. He's definitely a jazzerciser. <laughs> now, he can he can slice veggies faster than anyone before him, but he's got a, like a passion for gardening, believe it or not. <laughs> and he keeps his room filled with plants that he carefully curates. So he's, you know, he's a little anal, you know what I mean? Yeah. Now... Uh, it includes one Hordian plant that he unknowingly has intercepted that will come to pass in future episodes, and the team calls him Fez. Because mm-hmm, they cannot uh, they cannot pronounce Crazy Glue. Um, <laughs> now we have Silencer. This is Akia Bendaranaiki. Yes. Uh, Akia. Mm-hmm. Now, right. uh, <laughs> makes things uh, quite quite as well the, uh, the ability to turn the volume up as well as to rock and to shake things. So she's basically a human volume button. Now, she's Chinese in this iteration, and she's very intelligent. Uh, she's the uh, yin to Aileen's yang, if you pardon the pun. Now, she's equally uh, equally brilliant and aggressive. Uh, she's big in spelling competitions and also other school academic challenges. Uh, they call her Bandy. Uh, we got, oh boy, we got wild card. Johnny <laughs> Cronella. Little Johnny. He is the fashion plate of the t- he keeps the team sharply dressed while having the ability to steal anyone's power who is nearby. Uh, he may, This makes him the team's most proficient student, uh, as he can you know, more or less match anyone's intelligence or power just by being in proximity. Now, he's nicknamed Dash because he is a haberdasher, for goodness sake. <laughs> Indeed he is. He keeps those people in line here and dressed well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> then, finally, we have Hardcase, which is Burko Halloran, which he's the straight-laced Academy recruit. Now, he's a strict rule follower. He doesn't like to break rules, and he's, you know, by the book in this school. Mm-hmm. And he has hardening abilities. Now, he's a staunch student. He's a staunch student who doesn't let his guard down, so he's, you know, strictly to the books and strictly to the rules. But he secretly struggles to get good grades. He has a learning disability, something new we've inputted here, and he doesn't want to shame his team by not being able to compete academically. So there you go. So that's our that's our little roster our of characters. Yes. Yeah. And now we have six episodes, so we're actually going to break down what just a very brief synopsis of, you know, what each episode would look like. So episode one is called Sports Day, and it's Team Neon versus Team Yuri, and the Academy's uh, annual trophy is on the line. The team trades wins back and forth as tensions rise. The school trophy all of a sudden goes missing as Aileen and Weibo go to find the missing trophy, and they find it in Harold's room. Hmm. Hmm. But we find out that Splinter put it there to frame our hero. Now, Aileen and Weibo get it back to the case before anyone knows it's missing. Like a little, you know, Scooby-Doo type mystery going on in the background. Now, Team Yuri wins the competition with cheating. And uh, Beth gives the team a little pep talk about being good losers. And what's important, that you, you do your best and have fun. But the school overturns the result and the team celebrates with Aileen. Weebo, however, is suspicious of the Splinter Kid. Hmm. We jump into the second episode, which is the spelling competition. Aileen takes on Ayaka, Bandy, in the uh, Padilla spelling competition. Uh, 
Ayaka gets a stomach bug, and Burke, that's hard case, has to fill in despite his insecurities regarding his learning disability. Now, Silencer helps Burke win, but a hard case refuses to cheat to win. And he tells the judges after the fact that he didn't win this competition fairly. And so it's overturned and Aileen is declared the winner. Now, Weebo finds a secret about Splinter, but everyone feels that he's just being silly because that's kind of what he does. Now, the Horde sends a student into the school to observe and report back as they plan their arrival, you know, within a year on Earth. Mm, so they're scouting out the kids. They're seeing what they're mm-hmm. uh, what they're up against. Sure. So episode three, it's called the new kids. So new kids in the class are Ruth, Pilar, and William, and they show up. Now Brava, of course, likes to bully any new kids, and she starts in bullying on William, and uh-huh. he wants to quit school right away. And as a result, um, you know, despite his teammates trying to help him out, he just he just wants to leave. He doesn't want any part of this big bully Brava. Now Brava, however, learns a lesson when Williams. Uh, William actually helps scare away a creepy intruder with his scatterbrain powers. Lorna, however, on the other side with the other recruits, she creates a plasma car and the team sneaks out on the town, landing them in big trouble. Now, Splinter, while he's out around, steals a soda in a store, but he blames it on Harold, of course. Hmm. Harold and Robert began arguing over stealing because it got him in trouble. And Lorna causes them to be bad friends. But they find out that despite the trouble, they need each other and they need each other's help. Mm-hmm. Episode four, Detention Blues. Now the kids, they all spend a week in detention because they had that night on the town last episode. Conflicts arise between Harold and Splinter. It starts bubbling mm-hmm. to the surface. Robert and Jaylene confide in each other as Robert's concerned about his powers getting more and more out of control. Now Jaylene teaches him about having some non-denominational faith in himself. Aileen and Weebo discover proof regarding Splinter. Mm. Mm, it's here that Splinter is revealed to be Yuri's son, much to the dismay of his team. He's dismissed from Team Neon, and he returns to Team Yuri in disgrace. Lorna is expelled from the school, as uh, and the kids have to deal with this loss. Robert is particularly troubled, but again consoled by Jaylene. Radian, who is disgusted by his own team's efforts, remember he's on Team Yuri, he decides to leave that group and join Team Neon. Ah. Yes. Now, uh, during his first night there, he sees a mysterious transmission coming from one of the team members' computers, and he begins to speak to the mysterious voice emanating from the other end. Ooh. See how we're incorporating all the plot lines here mm-hmm. right? while still keeping it Saturday morning? Shall I love yes. it. All right. Episode five. This is called The Trouble with Parents. Now, Harold's parents show up after the big ordeal out on the town, <laughs> and they're ready to bring Harold home. And as he gets and he prepares to leave. Now, the, the team starts to feel dejected as they say goodbye to yet another friend. Now, Team Yuri... They debut their brand new expensive uniforms, and they're created by Wildcard, a good old Johnny, which gets the attention of the school newspaper and makes our heroes jealous. Now, Beth teaches the kids the importance of earning things, so the team begin a fundraiser to get proper uniforms, and the team break up into groups to make money. Meanwhile, Harold says goodbye to his friends, sadly, and, uh, you know, he says goodbye to everyone except Robert, who is having none of it, and he walks away in disgust that his friend is leaving. Now, Jaylene and Aileen and Weebo, they start a tutoring service, to which their first call, to their surprise, is Hard Case from Team Mm. Yuri, who's who's secretly struggling with the yearning, with learning. Um, the team bonds with him right away. Now, Ruth, Pilar, and William raise money selling cookies door to door. 
<laughs> now, Robert, who was supposed to be teamed with Harold, uh, is now trying to work in an animal shelter to make money, and he's washing dogs. Now, just as he is about to give up, Harold shows up, and he's staying. He's not going home. He's decided against it. He's not having none of it. So he wants to stay, and both he and Robert share a big laugh. Bathing a dog in the bathtub leaves the boys covered in water. Now, the team, they show up a little bit later in the lunchroom. Now, a few things that are going on here. You see the team, and they're trying to get everything ready for for their costumes. So they're playfully using their powers in tandem, like you see in the comic books, and they're discussing uh, that they are $1,000 short of the costume fund. Beth interrupts and tells the team that a donation has come in anonymously, and the team now has a full host of costumes being made as they speak, and they're excited as we see the new teams for the uniforms. Now, we see Robert in front of, yeah, we see uh, Louie in front of the computer screen again, and he discovers that the aliens are indeed on their way now and not in one mm. year. So it's within one year. Mm. Now, episode six, unwanted visitors, and uh, here is where the horde arrives. Now, uh, Louie tries to warn the others in the house that the horde are coming, but, you know, when, he, when he's asked to show proof, guess what? The computer ain't showing that message anymore. So it's his word against whatever. Now, he begs Beth and Neon to heed his warning, but guess what? It's spring break. Our heroes are all oh. spending the day at the beach. Now, Jaylene, Aileen, and Weebo, are, they're still studying diligently. That's sort of their gig. And the rest of them are out there going swimming. Uh, Weebo intercepts an emergency beacon at this point. Robert and Harold are out hiking in the mountains, and a tree falls on Harold, uh, caused by a cloaked alien scout ship descending upon the Earth. Robert is forced to use his powers to free Harold, who is stunned in seeing his uh, teammate's aggressive transformation. Now, as Robert comes down from his transformation, he, you know, hulks down a bit, uh, he explains to Harold about what's exactly going on. Uh... This conversation is interrupted by an alarm on Harold's vidcom. Now, our heroes arrive at the Moratory Academy and are and uh, are introduced to Dr. Talima, who reveals to the team exactly what's going on. They also are presented with their new costumes here, much to their relation. Yep, and the warning sound strikes out through the hall, so we get to see Talima sending the recruits to the secret hangar bay which appears hidden in a chamber below the facility and up rises a large white jet uh, to the amazement of the team. Now, Talima announces that it's the SF-87. It's a hypersonic jet and the team cheers as we see them leap aboard. Now, Robert, of course, he demands control of the jet because he is the pilot of the, uh, of the group. Mm -hmm. uh, overhead, we see another blimp-like vehicle soaring over the compound. It's Team Yuri. And Brava, who sits at the controls, waves sarcastically to the hero. So they beat him to the punch, and they're also ready for the invasion. And uh, they're already on the job and sails right on by. Now the strike force launches into battle, and we get a shot of a swarm of Hordian cruisers above Earth. And we finally meet a Hordian commander, Thundercrush, and the Gentle Inquirer. And the Hordians, they have a little bit of a different look uh, from their comic book likenesses, mm -hmm. as their testicle chins have now been replaced with, like, tentacle-like things. I and Crush, yeah. Yes, <laughs> yes. No, no, no testes on Saturday morning, <laughs> folks. And Crush speaks. He said, Earth is ours. Commence the invasion. Now Earth will feel the full wrath of the Hordian people. The end of season one. There you go. There's your there's your pitch. There you go. We got to get CBS on this 
or is FHE still in business? I mean, <laughs> oh, I I don't know. That that's a good uh, that's a good call out there. I don't know. I will I would hope they are because they did so much for my childhood. So mm-hmm. tell us, listen, folks, tell us what you think of uh, of our pitch. Do you think it would work? Is there anything we can improve on? We'd love to hear from you. Absolutely, and some ideas for season two if there ever was one. I mean, so many of these, I mean, I just looked up the little Muppet monsters. It only ran three episodes. There so, you go. So they needed a, uh, they needed a mid season fill in right quick. They did. <laughs> they did. And uh, we've got one that comes fully equipped with a cliffhanger and hopefully that'll be answered. But to the other side of the thing here, we got the comic that we're going to discuss today, which is of course, strike force moratory issue number 18. This had a May 1988 cover date. It's called Will. I wonder if that's named after anybody. Hmm. Uh, it's written by Peter <laughs> B. Gillis. Uh, Brent Anderson is back on the pencils. This time he's inked by Scott Williams, who uh, did the whole issue last time by himself. Uh, letters, Phil Felix. Colors, Max Scheele. Edits, Carl Potts. The cheese is still DeFalco. Yes, because he stinks, just like cheese. It's true. It's true. <laughs> and now cover price, $1 USD, $1.25 can, and... <gasps> Price hike in the UK. Price hike in the UK. Ooh. Ooh, boy, they used to have to pay 40 p's. Now it's 50 p's. So wow, that's a lot that of sounds, p's to carry around. That, that sounds like a lot. It does. It does. I don't know what a p looks like or how much it weighs, but carrying 50's got to take its toll. Now uh, <laughs> this had a release date of January 5th, 1988. So now both our release and cover dates are firmly in the year 1988. Now, starting off with the solicitation here, we got, it's one thing to know your superpowers will kill you someday, but as Moratori's scatterbrain learns, it's another thing entirely to have death stare you in the face. Maybe this not- is this is this is actually a good solicit because it actually yeah. it doesn't give too much away, but doesn't yet it describes what's going on in the book. Perfect. Exactly. exactly. Uh, now, cover. Another another good thing here. I, I really like this cover here. Oh, uh, me too. Yeah, it's a bright yellow cover, so it does jump right off into your eyes here. We've got, like, a giant Will DeGucci head here, and he's sending his <laughs> powers uh, in the form of these, like, reddish-pink lightning bolts uh, toward the rest of the team. And they're, they they all look like they've got, like, splitting headaches. They're all just, like, overcome by his, you know, by his mental transmission here. I, I like I like yellow covers, man. They really stick sure. out on a, on a shelf, you know what I mean? When I see something that has a bright yellow cover, you think about Silver Age and, like, Bronze Age books. Mm-hmm. I mean, most of those books were captured with, like, bright, you know, bright-backed covers and all that type sure. of thing. So even Golden Age, a lot of Golden Age were splashy red covers and different things, you know, bold logos. And uh, this one really sticks out to me. So really, really good job on the cover here. Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking about like uh, even like post crisis. You had uh, the John Burns Superman number one had the bright yellow cover. Uh, Loved it. Flash number one had a bright yellow cover. It's uh, it's interesting because I, I this one of those things I never thought about and until I started blogging. And I, if you've ever visited my blog, it's it's orange. You know, the the, the background <laughs> is orange. And I was just shocked to see how many orange and yellow covers of books that i was discussing it just, it, it's so weird it's something i never thought about before that and uh and, yeah, orange, and it's very orange orange doesn't seem like a common color I, i'm surprised right? by that actually yeah. yeah very very weird but uh yes this is a great cover here really um really gives you an idea of what might just happen here um but we open the cover up and we look inside and uh we get a first page which is an introduction to the team 
So uh, I wonder if this means we're going to avoid that contrived powers in tandem scene this time out. Oh, my God. This is an interesting page because, again, <laughs> for the second page, as soon as you flip past the cover, you get another giant Will's head. And they, yep. like you get to see the team sort of floating around them with their name and description of their powers. But seemingly to make a little bit of an error here, and you correct me if I'm wrong, but they say mm-hmm. sheer breaker of molecular bonds that's how they describe his powers has he all of a sudden become a lean or what is the story here i always thought when they introduced him he was had the ability to shear items they didn't describe molecular bonds at all so this comes a little bit of a surprise to me i was gonna say i think this is the first time it's been described this way um we could probably argue that it's exactly what he does but it's never been described in in these words before and uh, anytime we do see something regarding molecular bonds, it's always alien-based uh, in this book. So it is uh, definitely a different way to describe him. And uh, they also call Hard Case a petrifier. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like that. Um, now, now, much of this issue will be told in the form of Will Gucci's narration boxes. Uh and he is, uh, and this is a really good scene. I mean, this is this is a good issue. We'll spoil it for you. It's a good issue. Um, yeah. But this scene is really cool here. He he like recalls the team having a discussion that maybe happened, maybe didn't happen. But we'll get into that as we go. Now he has every character, and because uh, yeah, he's reintroducing everybody, he's basically saying, you know, here's Sheer. This is his powers, and he's dying. Here's, you know, Pilar, she does this. I mean, I mean, here's uh, Toxin, she does this, and she's dying. So we're getting the uh, we're getting the whole the moratory process is going to happen thing without actually having to go through a couple of pages of hey guys, remember you're gonna die within a year, which is pretty yeah. efficient use of uh, of space. I don't know what this says about the book, but uh, missing from the picture is Pilar, which mm-hmm. is uh, which is Will's own romantic interest somewhat. And, you know, uh, he seemingly leaves her out of his thoughts, which is which is kind of weird. And what about Blackthorn? I mean, Aileen disappeared Ooh. like yeah, exactly. <laughs> she she literally disappeared. She escaped two issues ago and hasn't been brought up since. And like yeah. nobody even gives her a second thought that we got this moratory recruit with molecular bond yeah. melting powers on the run. It's crazy. Easy. Now. Will is in a darkened room here, and at first blush, I assumed he was in some sort of like mental or behavioral facility because it's mm. like there's no furniture. He's it looks like he's wearing a hospital gown. That's it true. Just, it just looks like that's what I was expecting from this issue at first blush. Um, adding to that, the fact that he is still struggling with something the moratory monster did to him, because once he made contact. Will has been unable to stop seeing and hearing certain things, and these are things that scare him all the way to his core. This is uh, some pretty heavy stuff that we'll be getting into with Will. Now, he recalls reactions that his teammates had to the recent events in the desert, and this is the conversation we were alluding to before. I don't know if this conversation actually happened or not, but we'll get there. Yeah, now, it is. Yeah, it's 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 an odd setup here, but I agree. It is. Continu- it yep. is. Now, Backhand is shocked that the process has been perverted in such a way as to make monsters. Hardcase, who, if you recall, is the West Point graduate, very, uh, you know, very hard to break rank with his superiors. He actually gives the Padilla the benefit of the doubt, and he suggests that the monsters were all born out of a, quote, accident and not because of the Padilla doing anything particularly nefarious. Hmm. Mm. Now, Toxin doesn't agree, 
Now, Toxin, she speaks her mind here. She is just so angry that the Padilla went behind Dr. Tulima's back. If you remember, the Gen 2 characters, they're tight with Tulima. They were allowed to meet with him, and they still, as as of last issue, they still have regular contact with him. Uh, Silencer, you know, the Gen 3, she backs up Hardcase. And she brings up the point that, you know, we're in a war and we need as many powered recruits as possible because, hey, we're not going to live forever. They need to replace us. So maybe not the right way of doing it, but she's on board with them actually doing it. And man, they're not giving us many reasons at all to like dig G3 whatsoever. I mean, Generation 3, they're like, they support the Padilla and they're not open to the idea of corruption. Like they are 100% on the side of, you know, the the politic world, you know what I mean? So it makes them feel like they're outsiders to the reader still. So they're they're not Mm -hmm. trying to make them endearing at this point, which should be interesting a little bit down the road, see how that pans out. Yeah, they're not they're not rocking the boat at all. They just they they're like, okay, well these are what the bosses told us, so that's what it is. Yeah, uh, we jump we jump over to Brava, who wonders a lot about Doctor Tolima. She says that he's being viewed as a problem by the Padilla, and she's actually got a little bug under her skin here. She's wondering and she's annoyed that the third geners have been kept so far away from him. They they don't get to they never got to meet him, even though he is you know in a way their father, you know. Yeah, that's strange because it's interesting that they keep that they've kept G three away from Talima. I, you know, I don't really understand it. And there's a, there's a little thing that happens a little bit later on that we'll get into, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, as he's the guy who runs the moratory engineering plant. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? He basically creates moratory, or he did. He was in the process, but they're backing up every single thing that uh, you know the Padilla spits at him. And yeah. there's a whole lot happening behind the scenes that they're not aware of. But uh, man, I can't wait to see when they finally when they finally get the reveal of exactly what's happening behind the scenes and will they still support the Padilla? It's going to be interesting. Yeah, because because uh, Brava here actually she's showing like some signs of skepticism. She. She continues thinking out loud here, and she's wondering if maybe Louis was right. You know, when when he mm. when he set, you know, when he you know faced off with the Padilla and called them on the carpet, she's like maybe he was right. Uh, now Sheer, you know, the guy who killed, murdered Louis. <laughs> God, he basically he's standing there like a petulant child, yelling, "He was a traitor! He was well, a traitor!" <laughs> well, Louis was a traitor. It's he very was. simple. He was. <laughs> Still, something seems off with the Louis story. I mean, you know, I, something just don't sit right with me. He was simply released from Horde capture. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And he gets to reveal that there is no cure. But there's there's just something not right with that picture. I, I can't see it just leaving that plot line exactly how it ended. There's it feels some, unfinished. Yeah, yeah, seems like there's something else to come down the road about that. I don't know. Yeah, I hope so. I hope so, because it does feel very, very undone. Um, now, Will is recounting this event, interjecting his own thoughts with every line spoken spoken here, and, and it's very powerful stuff. It has this very unearthly, ethereal sort of a feel here, um, just uh, the use of, like, you know, stark blacks rather than detailed backgrounds here really make this work, um, which it also makes it unclear whether or not these conversations actually happened or these things were actually said out loud exactly. or maybe – Maybe, I mean, Will has his power, his psychic powers. Maybe these are just things he knows because he was able to read them. Um, whatever mm. the case, this is really good stuff here because they're not speaking like it's a very disjointed conversation, which lends itself to the possibility that Will was just reading minds, 
And it's like, okay, well, she feels doubtful. He feels angry. He's okay with it. You know, just a lot of that kind of stuff. And, it, and it's really cool here. Um, it is worth noting that uh, Will, he's wearing a foot and leg brace uh, early in the scene here. <laughs> and uh, it goes away. It goes away during the scene. So I'm not sure if that's something we're supposed to read into or if it's maybe just a, a, a gaffe in the art. Don't well, know. I think if I think if we had an editor in chief worth his salt, that <laughs> this would have been picked up on. But you, you know think? what? I think I think there's something to your to your idea that this could all be in Will's head. Like, is he yeah. just you know having random thoughts and putting himself in different positions in his own mind? And is this actually happening? We don't really know that answer at this point. But uh, that's true. I think he sort of his concentration gets broken very very it quickly does. here. <laughs> it does. From it gets broken by the arrival of Scaredy Cat. And she runs in and calls him honey buns um, and <laughs> shoves him down on the bed. Uh, Will's head, however, is definitely otherwise engaged. He's still, you know, he's still lost in thought here. He's got all these these feelings and uh, memories and just everything's bubbling to the surface inside his head here. And he tells her he confides in her. He's unable to stop the visions he's having and. Uh, Again, that he might have been supercharged by the moratory monsters. He might, it's just he's been affected by the recent events here. And here, as she's trying to make time with him, he drops a rather heavy bombshell on her. He looks her in the eye and he says uh, he's seen some stuff. He knows he knows when people are going to die. And uh, Pilar, you are going to be the next moratory to die. Jeez, nothing, uh, nothing ends a a, a romantic night like that. <laughs> you think, cow. yeah. Good lord, <laughs> what a cock blocker there. But anyway, <laughs> the G two cast don't even seem like they've been around long enough to you know be next to die, but I guess they have been. I mean, I think freshman, the freshman issue was issue eight or yep. something maybe. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's ten issues at this point, which is probably yep. longer than most of the originals lasted. To be quite honest no doubt. with you. No doubt. But, uh, you know, reading this first, I took it, you know, as Deguchi wasn't interested in, you know, the wiles of the woman. <laughs> but uh, but he turns it on afterwards. So it's sad we didn't get to see more of the Pilar Deguchi relationship early on because I, re- I really dig it, man. No, they work very well together. I, I enjoy them, too. They're I mean, as uh, as the freshmen here, we, we kind of gave them a bunch of crap. But uh, absolutely. But I mean, they, they have like this odd innocence to them. And uh uh, you know, we're, we are dealing with young people here, but none of them have really been treated like children. Um, I mean, Harold, he had his comic book, but I mean, he used to be still looked at him as a young adult with absolutely with Deguchi and Pilar here. They always seemed they always seem like, you know, junior high. You know, they always seem like kids. And it's uh, it's very endearing to, to see them, you know, gravitate toward one another. Um, now, he, after after he drops his bombshell saying, hey, you're about to die. She's okay with it. Um, she's like, cool, mm-hmm. okay. Just, that's what we signed up for. If it's coming, it's coming. Whatever. And uh, they make out for a little bit. So <laughs> good, Will is good on you, douche. Evening. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Will Will is uh, Will's status in the group has uh, has moved up significantly for me. <laughs> it's true. Now he's the ladies' man. <laughs> he is. I it, I mean, we mentioned earlier that only Aileen had sex in this book. <laughs> <laughs> well. Well, I mean, you know, he, he, she probably will remain the only one to as well if you keep using those lines. Well, <laughs> hey, baby, you're going to be next to die. You know, that that that, that doesn't equal sack time. Yeah, it'd be funny if she comes in and she's like, tell me I'm going to die. Tell me I'm going to die. <laughs> um, 
I apologize. Uh, now, meanwhile, in South Africa, we have a Horde cruiser flying over Cape Town, and they happen mm. across a yacht. Now, before blowing the thing to bits, they notice a familiar form on board, and it's Hammersmith. Now, this is the Hordian who was assumed dead from a few issues ago, and Thundercrush's BFF. The Horde retrieves him, gets him on board, and then destroys the yacht. With, with the human still with on the board. With the human still on it. Yep. <laughs> they basically <laughs> slaughtered him. Now, we haven't seen much of the hordes, you know, the vile aggression that they've been showcasing in, like, the early issues because they've been basically neutered yeah. by the Moratori in recent battles. I mean, they've been really, really set back. I mean, the Moratori on every single front has been just wiping them out in, like, you know, just a couple pages. So, mm-hmm. I think they're uh, they're showing uh, their aggression here now and taking it out on these poor folks on a yacht. Now, is this the same yacht that Radian brought the, the brought the group on and had Harold's parents on the whole nine yards. Is that the same one? I you know I don't know. Maybe maybe Harold's parents just died. <laughs> we didn't realize. That. <laughs> no, but you know what I mean. The one that they were out in the ocean because they took the Eversons with them in that uh, in that ship. Mm, so maybe. Yeah. Maybe. I because wonder. The, yeah. Because uh, th- the uh, what's his name Thundercrush is yeah. that who was on there or or oh, Hammersmith. No, uh, Hammersmith. Hammer- yeah. Yeah. So was Hammersmith the one on 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 that uh, yacht, it's going to be interesting. I'm going to go back and check it, take a look at that because yeah, yeah. I really want to see that. And and like you mentioned here, that we don't we haven't seen this sort of horde versus humanity in a while. It's only been horde versus moratory. Yep. So this is kind of a shock back to normalcy or back to what, what how we came into this. You know, back in the day where they were you know throwing humans into orbit to make them <laughs> pop into uh, <laughs> into shooting stars or whatever. Um, and it's here, you know, we have Hammersmith on board, and we learn that all's not well with the Horde. Uh, Thundercrush, his leadership has been called into question by the Gentle Inquirer, mm. and so his authority has been challenged. Now, we look inside like the Horde Citadel, and it's like been set up in this ritualistic sort of a situation here. We have both Hordians, Thundercrush and the Gentle Inquirer. They're sitting on like a stage in, within these ceremonial circles facing one another. And they've got like they've got like little sticks that they're holding. It's it's very, very interesting looking uh, ritual here. Uh, we're not exactly sure what it includes, but it looks pretty impressive. Now, the Inquirer posits that Thundercrush is not fit to rule. And he claims that he is too emotionally damaged by the loss of his BFF Hammersmith to effectively lead the Horde to victory against the Earth and Strikeforce Moratory. Now, one comment here, and it's it sort of sticks out to me. Have we ever seen Hordian women? Oh, boy. Um, I, you know, I don't I don't think so. Have we? I don't think so either, because, I mean, you got these relationships, you know what I mean, between these, you got Thundercrush and Hammersmith and, you know, there were BFFs and one is like emotionally ravaged because the other one was gone. I mean, are yeah. they suggesting like, like almost like homosexuality amongst the Horde? Is that what's or happening just here? Un- maybe like a unisexuality, like there's only, it, wow, you know, hmm. so that you know, is great. I never noticed that there weren't any women. I, I don't recall any, maybe. Someone no, can, I uh, think you're right. So this is basically a Hordian Sausage Fest. That's <laughs> what's going on. <laughs> but I, I don't know if anyone's ever asked that question because, you know, uh, w- what I do like about this whole scene is that we're seeing a little bit more about Hordian culture. So not only do we not see Hordian women, but we also see 
the Hordian court system. So this yep. basically looks like a trial, and it looks like how they deal with things is to have two Hordians face off in battle. Now, we never get to see the actual battle or the confrontation because it's cut short, but, you know, we yeah. see two two very, very interesting questions on Hordian culture right here. So that guy that asked the question in the uh, in the letters column there yeah. a couple of years ago, I think we're starting to see little pieces of that being answered right here. No doubt, no doubt. And as you mentioned here, the proceedings here, they are interrupted because Hammersmith arrives. And he saunters on up to the stage and he punches the Inquirer in the face. Um, now, this is taken as a counter challenge. And so this ritual will be pr- briefly postponed in order to include this alteration here. So where there was two, there is now going to be three. But we will get there. First, we jump back to the New Haven Institute and we catch up with Dr. Tolimo, who's been kind of AWOL for the past few issues. Now, it's clear that he has found out all about the perversion of his process and, you know, how the Padilla went behind his back and created those monsters. He is uh, pretty ravaged here. He's pretty shaken. Um, His thoughts are interrupted by the arrival of the next crew of recruits. Whoa, 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 whoa. Back up the truck. Hold Mm -hmm. the phone here. So Tolima is at this point is supposed to be removed from the process. They basically neutered his ability to create new recruits. So they're going to do it on their own. The Paidea is going to make their own set of moratorium and all that type of stuff. And he's Tolima is intentionally being kept away from the G3 recruits. Mm -hmm. Yet he's being given a fourth generation to train like such mixed, you know, mixed messages here on this. I don't know what to think. Yeah, it's like I, we don't we don't get to meet these new recruits yet because Talim is not in the right headspace to deal with any of this. So he just sends everybody. He's like, not not now. Another time. We'll do this another time. So it's like I'm wondering, like, is this like a lame duck team? Is this just like is this just something to keep Talima busy so he doesn't pay attention to the Padilla? <laughs> Are they just trying to, like, keep him working so he doesn't have time to investigate? It's like the yeah. saved by the bell, the college years. It's just not the same. It's true. It's true. Because, I mean, we're going to as we go deeper into this issue here, uh, Talima is going to he's going to investigate further. And uh, this all might be a subterfuge. You know, it's like keep keep, you know, hitting him with new recruits, keep giving him students, keep giving him uh, mentees here. So he's busy and away from the computer consoles. Keep him working. So I, maybe that's what it is. But it is very, very weird to see after. I mean, it's been probably a half year's worth of issues at this point that we've seen him do anything effective. That's true. And, uh, and here we are. I mean, the last thing he did was watch Beth Neon die. Um, <laughs> I mean, it's true. Uh, now, we hop from here. We hop aboard the Super Train to catch yes, up with Yuri. Sir. So I'm loving the Super Train concept. And I did check out that YouTube video he sent me. <laughs> of, uh, that was amazing. Like, what a yep. great idea. Like, love boat on a Super on Train. A train. That's, yep. that's fantastic. <laughs> but anyway, um, I'm just wondering, and it's just another one of these questions, just like the Horde one. Why do they, where are they going and what necessitates a train? Isn't it better to have, like, a hidden base? Like, <laughs> where's their jet? Is it inside the train? Like, where does know, the train yeah. does the train stop? Does it drive itself? You know, <laughs> I mean, think about it. You're on a train. You're more likely, in my opinion, to be picked off by the horde because you're out in the open. Would you not agree? I, I, especially since I, I'm guessing that this train just runs in a circle. You know, <laughs> it, it, what? where does where does it go? Right. It doesn't it's, make it's, sense. Like, where are yeah. they? Are like, are they going to their next destination? Are they just on a train? Which is okay to me. I don't need any exp- any further sure. explanation to be on a super train. But uh, uh, I think just, it just goes around the Christmas tree. That's it. <laughs> Perfect. All right. <laughs> I love it. 
<laughs> now, Yuri here is um, he's showing some like rare, you know, uh, dissension here. He's he's standing up for himself here. He he's on the line with the Padilla and he demands that they give the Moratori another mission because, you know, the natives are kind of getting restless. You know, uh, they're not they're not cool with what's going on here. At the very least, they have questions. That's the problem. Um, now, Padilla's argument against this is that uh, they feel the moratory have grown too unstable, yes. which uh, ah, that might be another reason why we have a Gen 4 coming up. Uh, they, the Padilla might see our current heroes as a problem needing to be solved. Um, now, Yuri, as we mentioned, in a rare show of defiance, he really presses the issue here. It's funny, because if the Padilla honestly doesn't trust the, the moratory, but yet they have ties to G3, which is sort of a... Yeah. Coinc- you know, it's a coincidence, don't you think? Like, speaking out of both sides of their ass here for some totally. reason. Totally, yeah. It's like, it, it's almost like, you know, the uh, the, you know, the jig is up, you know, and they they maybe they think that G3 knows too much and they're not as dumb as they thought they were. They're not just the tools that they wanted them to be. And, uh, hmm. and you know, we do have a little bit of dissension here. And it's, uh, they, I think they want to just cut their losses at this point. Now, uh, Yuri, he informs his superiors that there is some dissension in the ranks of the Horde, and he figures this might be the most advantageous time to take the fight directly to their citadel in Cape Town. I haven't the foggiest idea how Yuri knows anything about this, right? <laughs> nope. Um, all the stuff going on in South Africa, I have no idea, but we'll, we'll let it go. We'll let it go. Maybe that'll be answered later. Maybe it won't. Especially when you're on a train circling the Christmas tree. You, you right? Know, you, you tend to know less. <laughs> you do. You do. You know, all you know is which lights went out, is which uh, you know, bulbs burnt out. Um, <laughs> now, the Badia ultimately agree, and they give Yuri the big thumbs up. It's like, okay, go to Cape Town, take advantage of this situation, do your thing. And before we know it, we are on the Moratory jet headed for Cape Town. The entire team is there, and along for the ride is commander yuri himself <laughs> i like the fact that they stick yuri on this jet and he's not ready so he's got this giant suit to yep. help him fly you know what i mean and uh you know he's already getting motion sickness he's not used to mm-hmm. any of this stuff now the moratory they've got special power so they're used to being on a hypersonic jet and sure. just launching out of nowhere but poor yuri he's overweight probably got high blood pressure <laughs> you know you know what i mean he, he's being launched like a dart into the air and he you know he, he's not ready Ready. This is a disaster for him. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, as the jet nears its destination, we go back to Will de Gucci, and he is still lost in thought. Now, the thing is, he's becoming more and more curious. You know, his his love interest is going to die very soon. He wants to know what happens to the mind when it's on the brink of death and even into death. Yikes. And yeah, and he's really, really getting he's really getting into this thought here, and. He actually sends his consciousness out to a hospital. He wants to uh, he wants to feel death. He wants to see what death is, and he comes across a man in a coma at the Zane's Guard Hospital, and he infiltrates this fella's brain, and immediately realizes that coma and death are two different things. Now I think this is key to like the how the book actually ends, and I won't spoil it right here. But you know, if someone can be locked away in their own mind, like like in a coma, and not mm-hmm. technically die, but yet someone who's in a coma is basically safe. You know, they don't have the they don't have the worries of the world around them. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But they're in their own head, so they're okay, which I think is key foreshadowing here. Very very true. Now Will 
despite this, he knows that he can experience death, but he is going to have to push his powers a whole lot harder to do so here. Uh, we jump over to the Horde, and this ceremony has reconvened, and it now consists of three circles with, you know, Hammersmith, uh, Thundercrush, and the Inquirer. However, before this can kick off, they sense the arrival of their enemy, the Strike Force Moratori. Boy, this and, court system is sort of like on Family Guy when like Kool-Aid Man kept crashing through the wall. It was crazy. <laughs> it's, it's a snake bit ceremony. For sure. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, the Moratory Jet hurdles towards Horde HQ, and, and this is a really cool scene here, because they're barreling towards the Horde, and they're like, it looks like they're going to take the Horde out just by crashing into them. But then they harden, courtesy of Hardcase, they harden the jet, they hit a hard left, and they plow directly through the wall of the Hordean Armory. I love this. It's like some, it's yeah. like two cars on the road and one just decides to like wheel over and slam the other one off the road. It's perfect. The more they show the usefulness of the powers, like I dig hard cases powers, man. Like what yeah. else can he harden? Can he harden themselves to be invulnerable for, for the attack? You know, sure. it's, his powers are not called hardening. So they, they actually called it petrification on the opening page and alludes to, you know, turning things into like hard statue almost type things. So mm-hmm. uh, it's an interesting power moving forward, how they're going to play with this. But I really, really thought it was great to harden the ship temporarily just to slam it to the compound. Oh, Genius yeah. use of power, man. For sure. And it protects the jet. It's just a really good thing. Um, now, they all disboard here or deboard. And Deguchi senses that the hordes, they're approaching. They're going to be here very, very soon. And it's in this scene where Brava actually says the tagline of the series. She turns to Sheer and says, we were about to die. So how about that? I thought that was interesting. I mean, you finally get the uh, the tagline that you've seen on the top of this book the whole time. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we, we've been saying it the entire while, you know what I mean, with our introduction and the yep. basis of our show. But it's the first time that someone's actually said it. It's, it's almost like that cringy line that you see in the movie, you know, when, when, they, they, say the the, title. when, when yes. they say the title. But it, it was cool. I liked it. Yeah, yeah, especially since it took them 18 months to do it. Um, <laughs> and, you know, just as uh, Deguchi has promised, the Horde arrives in no time flat. Now, Brava fastball specials Toxin and Scaredy Cat into the baddies. You know, she just tosses them both here, just hurls them over her shoulders. Um, and in a very cute bit here, Pilar, you know, the junior high girl, she starts chasing after one of the Hordians, who looks like it's running <laughs> away like a scalded dog yelling, Scaredy Cat, Scaredy Cat! <laughs> that was awesome. I loved it. I loved it. Now, as the battle rages, uh, you know, the moratory, they're squaring off with the horde here. All Will Deguchi can do is look on. I mean, he's still so preoccupied here. Then he sees his chance, what he wanted to do this whole trip. He sees a hordian just about to die, and he decides to send his consciousness into it. And he learns all about death. Uh, he learns that death equals pain, too much pain, so much that he cannot bear to stand it. Now, this sensation is so powerful that he can't help but to project it. Now, interesting note about his power. When he started, he couldn't. He always projected his power no matter yes, what he does. So he couldn't control we, it. Yeah. yeah, we've seen a progression with his power, which is pretty cool. Oh, yeah, it's definitely had a maturation to it. But at this at this point, this was way, way, way too much for him to bottle down. So he's projecting death into this armory and everybody in it, human and Hordian alike, feels death 
and they hit the floor. And it is wild. Now, this somber and sobering scene is interrupted by big fat commander Yuri, who uh, (laughs) he comes bounding out of the jet and he's he's annoyed to see his soldiers laying down on the job. He's like, hey, we got stuff to do. Now, how come he wasn't? That's what I'm wondering. Will's projection isn't affecting him. Was it because he was in like the hardened jet that he was concealed from it, or who knows? Did it not transmit? Because because when Yuri comes out, we still see the waves of emotion. So mm. it's very weird. I wonder if there's more to Yuri. I mean, Yuri, he seemed to know that the horde was in disarray. Here, he's not affected by uh, by uh, Will's power. Um, unless these are just really, really, really staggering editorial gaffes, th- this might be something. I, I don't I, remember, but it might I be. Think, I think you're onto something. I think there's more to Yuri than we've seen, which is going to be mm-hmm. cool. Hopefully they yeah. do reveal that. But uh, Will's control of his powers and his understanding, obviously, you're coming to the forefront finally. Yes. And instead of in, indiscriminately affecting everybody, he can he, – well, with this situation, he's affecting he's everybody. But, yeah. but he's learned that he can transmit it only, you know – internally or projected on somebody else or dive into somebody else. Will is becoming a lethal weapon, man. No doubt. No doubt. Now he looks at his teammates and he can see them like sort of like mentally broken down to their component parts, which might be like maybe giving him an idea of what they'll be feeling, thinking and seeing at the moment of their own deaths. Maybe I might be thinking a little too hard about this, but he turns to Brava and she is frozen in fear. I mean, big, you know, hulking, super strong Brava is frozen like a child. Toxin starts choking on her own toxic saliva. Uh, backhand instinctively raises a shield to, to protect himself. Hard case, our West Point grad, stands there and accepts it. Interesting. He just stands mm. there. He's like, this is my fate. Here we go. Uh, silencer curls up inside. We jump to sheer, however. Who gets all sorts of ticked off here? He is stomping mad. He wants a fight. And uh, at the brink of death, he will be very violent, apparently. Um, also, he doesn't want to look second best to their fat Russian commander. <laughs> so <laughs> he hops into this battle. He just starts killing Hordians left and right, including Hammersmith. Uh-oh. Now, yeah, he he uh, and he finally gets his shearing hands on the leader of the horde, Thundercrush, who's still in his ceremonial garb, and he kills him too. Oh man, Shear is kicking ass and taking names here. Like his yep. his powers of heart shearing have become incredibly useful. <laughs> Good mm-hmm. lord, I thought he was only breaking down molecular bonds. No, he's shredding hearts, brother. He's taking he people out, and he just took out the Hordian leader without any fight. He With just. No he fight. just and his BFF, which is yes. uh, which is problematic, but probably great for the gentle inquirer, because now two of the spokes in his wheel are out of his way. Exactly, exactly. Two hurdles have been leveled here. Now Yuri, he's like, hey, we just took out a, a horde leader. Let's get while the getting's good. <laughs> good idea. <laughs> and he calls everybody to reboard the jet. Deguchi, however, he isn't quite done here. He tries to get a read, and this is where I'm a little bit uh, I'm a little bit questioned here. He's either getting a read on Thundercrush or Hammersmith. I can't tell, uh, even though they look very different. I'm not still not sure of the scene how the scene's playing out here. Now, what he gets at this read isn't pain. You know, the the immense and uncontrollable pain of death isn't there, and it's really not anything bad. All he can sense from this dying Hordian 
is love. Love for his fellow hordesmen who mm. had just passed away. It's almost like he's, I, I mean, he's not only dying of a severed heart, but he's dying of a broken heart, which is interesting. It's just, it's just another, it's like another interesting spin on the Hordian animals, you know what I mean? Yeah. These big invaders. They're not the saddest that we believed them to be first when they arrived. I mean, they have emotions and feelings, and we've seen it yeah. in in different uh, different issues, especially the one with the, the carjacking and all yeah. that type of stuff. So I mean, there's a lot more to the to this Cordian culture than we know, and it's not all pure evil. So I'm really yeah. digging how they're unfolding this slowly. No, no, the depth that they're that they're interjecting here is really it's it's so much food for thought because even though they have different goals and different outlooks than the humans here, it's like you know the the they what's that 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 old tired cliche saying like you know people the the worst people never see themselves as villains. You know they're just doing what they're doing because it's what they do so it's it's very interesting to see here that uh you know the horde they are capable of love they are capable of caring of sympathy of empathy and uh all we've been told and in almost it's almost like we're part of the story here and have been taken in by the padilla propaganda which exactly. is just a whole other layer to this that that makes this series just so special but uh very very cool stuff here love this scene but uh we we do wrap up the issue here. We've got Pilar trying to drag Will back on the jet because he is just like he's as dumbstruck as we are. He he wasn't expecting to see love. Um, and then we see the gentle inquirer watching this all unfold, and he's like, "Hey, that's pretty cool, you know." <laughs> <laughs> he's he just punched his own ticket. He knows what he's doing next. Um, we uh we do like a double scene here. Part of it's going to take place in New Haven. The rest of it's going to take place in this armory. But first in New Haven. We've got Dr. Talima sitting before his computer console, and he feels like he's been pushed just as far as he could push, be pushed. And he uh, purges the moratory database. He deletes it from the system. So I guess they never mm-hmm. backed up. But uh, they, uh, he has just purged all of his information, all of his data, all of his research from the Padilla console. Interesting. Now, the ending scene with Pilar and Will, we've got uh, Will standing there, and uh, maybe you can explain it a little bit better than I can. Well, if I'm making sense of the scene, it looks like that Will has mentally shut down. So he's so overwhelmed by grief and the fear of death, he's no longer sending that out to the world. So he's shutting his feelings off, almost like a tap uh, from the big scary world of, you know, like the moratory and the horde invaders. And he's locking himself in the only place that he feels safe, which is his own head. Yeah. Which is probably the only place where he claims that he actually feels alive, which is powerful, man. This is a powerful mm-hmm. scene and probably one of the most powerful ones in the book for a long time. Now, you get to see Pilar. She's trying to wrap, you know, wrap her arms around him, trying to console Will. And he's standing there and he's like completely vacant. He is Blank. no longer there whatsoever. So for Will, for all intents and purposes, could basically be dead in a manner of speaking. But they haven't they haven't gone there. Mm-hmm. Uh but they did this smartly, contrasting Will shutting down with Talima wiping out the moratory database. And I mean, mm-hmm. it's it's perfect. What a comparison. But Anderson, again, hits a home run with his facials, man. I mean, Will's vacant look is just a brilliant way to end this issue. It looks yep. real. It looks legit. And you can just, you don't even have to have words on the page. You just see no. that and you know what's happening. Yeah, it's it's wild stuff here. Uh, just, uh Another you know, home run of an issue here. And it's, oh, 100%. Uh, it, it's really, really great here. We get all these new questions. Um, we really don't get much in the way of answers, but we don't need them yet. 
you know, sometimes finding out the answer kind of ruins the question. And uh, I'm happy that we're still we're still learning, but we're not getting everything we want, you know, uh, because once we do, it's over. But this was uh, so well done here. Um, Will becoming like the point of view character. Never oh. saw that coming. I love it too, and I mean, yeah. wow! I mean, I I look back at the you know the couple issues when he started, and we just blasted him. Oh yeah! But my God, you talk about winning the winning the reading reading audience over. I mean, they've mm-hmm. done they've done so much great work with these characters, and I mean, it's fantastic. And you know, the power of the readers or the power of the writers here is is incredible. They've done a fantastic job. Art oh, and yeah. read and and writing is fantastic on this book. Oh. Totally. This is uh, one of the higher quality books you're going to find uh, of any era, I think. Uh, it's yep. just, oh man, it just keeps building on itself. And I mean, it shows no sign of slowing down. Unfortunately, we know it will, but uh, it looks yep. like it's, uh, it's going to just keep <laughs> this up forever. Man, this is good stuff. And uh, more than anything, we're left with just so much that we'll have to uh, learn next time. Um what what's gonna because it's been uh, it's been years since either of us have read these so what does happen to will is he going to be for all intents and purposes you know trapped in his own brain from this point on or is he going to or is is this just him bottling up emotions to the point where he doesn't feel pain anymore we don't know the beauty Um, part of it is i don't know and i can't wait to find out exactly (laughs) exactly we have the gentle inquirer here who's going to make his power play probably we got yuri showing that not only can he survive being launched in this uh, you know, supersonic jet, he can. He also doesn't feel the effects of moratory powers, maybe, and also he seems to know things. Um, could he be the infiltrator that we thought Beth Neon might be back in the day? I mean, who knows? This is a uh, all these awesome questions, but we will get to those as we continue our our journey through this uh, this wonderful little series. Uh, time for some back matter. Um, letters page. Yet. Nope, nope, nope. There's one letter. Oh, There's wait, one wait. Letter. Yep. Okay. Oh, you know, you yes, know, they did something with the text in this book. They made it very, very small because they, they, they tried to cram some stuff here. So maybe you can see it better than I I've, can. I've magnified it. It says, Dear Marvel, okay, it says, Whatever happened to predictability? The Milkman, mm-hmm. the Paperboy, Evening TV. How did I get to living here? Somebody tell me, please. This old world is confusing me. The clouds as mean as you've ever seen. Ain't a bird who knows your tune. Then a little voice inside you whispers, Kid, don't sell your dreams so soon. By the way, rehire Jim Shooter. Thanks, Uncle Jimmy. I mean, Jesse. Have mercy. (laughs) 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 That that, that Jimmy guy keeps writing in. I don't know what's happening here. I think he's he's shooting at something. He might be. He might be. He's shooting, brother. Um... (laughs) But we do, as always, have bullpen bulletins. Uh, do you want to you wanna break off the quote of the month? Oh, yes. If you've hurt one hair on her head, I'll use judo on you. I'm just the guy to do it, too. I was in Korea. <laughs> Stands to reason. Now, the, the person speaking, this is Dagger's stepfather speaking to the Punisher in Strange Tales number 14. <laughs> He'll wow. use judo on you. There you go. That's mm-hmm. a threat. It is. If if you hurt one hair on her head, I will use judo on you. He's gonna throw you. He's actually gonna throw you. <laughs> that's. I think that's all the judo I know. So maybe. <laughs> now on to our news. First things first. A bunch of Marvel books just suffered a price hike. Ugh. 
Yes, Amazing Spider-Man, Spectacular Spider-Man, Web of Spider-Man, all the Spider-Man. Avengers, X-Men, X-Factor, New Mutants, all the mutants. Punisher and Silver Surfer all jumped one quarter in price. Quote, with no change in format, contents, or page count. Oh. Now, uh, yeah, the cheese himself justifies this higher with you know higher paper. All the stuff we always hear every time they give us a price. I go, oh, paper's expensive. Oh, whatever. <laughs> Now he does he does uh, rationalize this. He says, "Hey, it was either raising the price of the most popular books a quarter, or raising the price of every Marvel book, the uh, you know, newsstand ones, to ninety cents from seventy-five. So everything across the board would go up fifteen cents, or only the most popular ones would go up twenty-five cents." <laughs> I didn't need to know the justification. I mean, I, uh, I, that feels it feels like when you explain something, it's like when you when. Like when you see somebody tell a lie and they're very, very specific about it. It's, yeah. like, it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, I, I was there. It was Wednesday. It was 10.33 p.m. And, uh, yeah, and, and I smelled onions. I remember smelling onions. And the walls were green. And uh, there was a lady with a shopping bag. And there was a canned ham in it. It's like, okay, you're full of crap. Yeah. And Steve Ditko was there. I don't know. Well, yes, that, that goes without saying. <laughs> but think about this. They're raising the prices on these books. So now they've gone in Canada, I think, to a dollar fifty. Is that where we're at right now? Because they went um, a buck twenty five. Oh, 20, maybe okay. a buck fifty for for these. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. So I think we're a buck fifty on the key books. So yet in 2020, <laughs> those same books that were released and now on better paper with better color are actually a buck. So yep, they're actually the cheaper. Books. They're actually mm-hmm. cheaper in 1988. Something's something's rotten in Cleveland, Jesse, I guarantee you. <laughs> yeah, it's it's funny here. And, and and you know, it's something that usually I will uh I'll credit a, a company when they when they're out you know when they're upfront about their price hikes and uh I know like DC's done it a bunch of times. Marvel, they're they're not as forthcoming these days. They just keep raising prices. But uh, it it I was always kind of cool with that. It's like hey okay they're they're explaining you know hey the the cost of doing business is uh, is the cost of doing business. Boy. Here it just it just feels so sketchy though. It's like uh, it's like well we're 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 doing this for you guys. You know it was either this or this. Okay. So so they jacked up the price on those and then they take a yet another step. Tell them all about it. Yes, our next item here, Marvel's direct books, the all direct books, which include the NAM and whatever is left of the new universe. Uh, <laughs> those will all also be undergoing changes, they say, in price and format. So I don't understand. I mean, you're limiting distributions on books with already horrific sales. You know yeah. what I mean? These are the bottom bottom of the barrel, the birdcage liners for Marvel. And yet they're going to increase the price. They're going to take them. Out of you know mainstream circulation, they're going to stick them in a comic shop, and they expect those to do better. What yeah, is? Tell, tell me what that's about. Like, take a book away from the grocery store, or convenience store in 1980 was absolute suicide, man, in my opinion. It, it's weird because uh, this is something that um, I haven't really tracked uh, the the price hikes so much. I, I I get my books by mail a month after they're out, and I don't really pay attention to the the Bleeding Cools and the CBRs. You could tell me right now that Bleeding Cool doesn't exist anymore, and I'd believe you. I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't ever go to that garbage. But uh, I, back in the day, I would follow you know the news. I would pay attention to the news, and I remember like the suffering books would always get the price hike, like uh, Christopher Priest's Black Panther. Like everything was like two and a quarter or two dollars and twenty five cents, 
and like, oh, well, in order not to cancel this one, we need to raise it to 275. It's like, that just sounds counterproductive. Oh, yeah. It hell yeah. sounds exploitative because all you're doing is exploiting the people who are who are supporting the book and, uh, or, or and it's gouging the them. Or it's the WrestleMania theory from this year. So you, you basically do a hell of a lot less, mm-hmm. but you charge more money for it. Yeah, and it and it evens out. So you might sell less books, but you're getting more you're for, the, for the for the, the individuals. Money. Yeah, exactly. So. And it always seemed like a very sketchy way to do things here, and it almost feels like the fulfillment of a contract, like where it's like, well, we already solicited these three issues, we might as well get a couple extra bucks for them, and yep. uh, then we'll just cancel the book outright at that point. It, it's sketchy. It's it's it stinks, but. Uh, you know the nom here and uh, the whatever is remaining of the of the destroyed and decimated new universe. Um, they're going to be going the epic route insofar as paper quality, and the price on all of them will be up to a dollar twenty-five. Well, they could have they could have friggin' printed the nam on gold bars and sold it for a dollar twenty-five at that time, and still nobody would have bought that crap. Sadly, <laughs> it was in a bad, bad way at that point. I mean, the quality of the book had disintegrated, the writing had gone down. I mean, people, I know we have faithful, uh, faithful nam readers and all that stuff, but sure. man, I'm telling you, the drop off was horrific in that book for me. That's one I never, I never actually got into it. So I'll, I'll take, I'll definitely take your word for it. It seems like. It seems like it was an afterthought at this point, for sure, for sure. Um, now, the next and last news item is um, some Marvel staffers just had children. <laughs> so we're just hoping that they weren't friends of old Shooter. Otherwise, they're going to be booted on their ass before long, and those poor babies will starve. <laughs> Anyone needing a job? Hammer needs help photocopying in the basement. You need someone. You need someone to run the copies across the street and up ten flights of stairs. You know, so I, I'm sure they're not above using child labor to do that. So uh, you know, it probably helps out poor Larry and the rest of the Shooterverse. In, so they keep it off in, the books. If it's fun. Yeah, in Marvel Siberia over there. <laughs> Next up, we have the profile. Oh, this is a yeah, yeah. Uh, this is a Michael Higgins. First, uh, the caricature. Um, this is that Marvel staffer who's always drawn in the Grateful Dead t-shirt. You might have seen him a time or two if you've read Marvel comics of the late 80s and into the 90s. Uh, he's always drawn with the Grateful Dead t-shirt. Um, also, this dude writes a lot for every yep. single question. So much so that they had to shrink the damned text. <laughs> I, I'm nearsighted. Can't, can't cancel the entire uh, roster of books that were supposed to come out that month. They yes. didn't even get a mention. It doesn't fit on the page. Oh, God. I mean, I'm nearsighted, and I had to take my glasses off to see this. I, I, I blame Michael Higgins for my needing bifocals after this. This was just the, – the text was so tiny, so unfunny. I, I, this is not good. Um, now, we get into his gig, what he does. He edits on Silver Surfer, Submariner, and Marvel's first weekly comic, which would eventually become the bi-weekly Marvel Comics Presents. <laughs> well, you know what? I've got a lot of love for Marvel Comics Presents. I mean, the anthology concept overall mm-hmm. is something that I like, and there's so much opportunity, especially when you got the vast roster that Marvel had there of characters to use. But it just baffles me, like, so many backups were were just trash. I mean, none oh, yeah. of it had any real consequence to what happened in the uh, in the Marvel universe in general. I mean, mm-hmm. was there any first appearances or consequence that happened? I mean, they had Wolverine's origin, so I'll give yeah. them that much. So they put Wolverine's origin in there, but was there anything else that came out of Marvel Comics Presents? Am I being um, wrong? 
uh, I guess if your cyber mileage varies, uh, cyber, the Wolverine villain, he made his first appearance there. Um, how much, how much is that worth? Oh boy. You know, tons of money. Tons of money. <laughs> um, I'm trying to think here. It, uh, it did feature Joe Maguire's first professional work. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, it was, it was a tryout book. Um, it was. It's, yeah, it's that's one thing about anthologies, uh, you know, outside of the the golden and silver age and even the bronze age, the the, the anthology books were basically just uh, like uh, like funnels, like sieves to uh, to try out new characters, try out you know maybe some unpopular char- or less popular characters. I should oh say. boy, and, boy, they found and, those. Oh, it's true, it's true. Yeah, we we love Shamrock, right? Um, <laughs> and uh, and just some new creators, you know. Well, it had you think about it. I mean, a lot of the the backups were like Doctor Strange. They even had Vengeance in there. They brought in Sunspot. I mean, everybody wanted a Sunspot issue. Yeah. They they teamed Sergeant Fury up with Dracula. Oh boy. <laughs> yes, sir. In issue sixty five, they had Star Fox. Now, the reason I brought that out was because Peter Gillis himself wrote that one. Hey. <laughs> they had Comet Man. Rick Jones, and now they started out great. They had, uh, or in my opinion, I thought they would with uh, Man Thing and Shang Chi, so that was pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Then they moved into, they tried it without Wolverine for a little while with uh, with mixed results because they had Colossus as the main feature, and that yep. was trash. Not and good. Man Man Thing was still in the book, and boy did that have worn out its welcome at that time. But they had Ant Man, which is kind of cool. I mean, you know, that's what this whole thing is for: trying out different characters who don't get spotlight. Mm-hmm. But they had. And I think they were reaching too far into the woodshed here. They had slag from the Wolfpack. <laughs> oh, that's that's money right there, brother. Anything Wolfpack related is uh, is guaranteed cash in Marvel in 1988, right there. I, I do remember they uh, they started like putting some of the X Men into solo scenarios uh, early on. Like Havoc had his own serial, Cyclops yes. had his own serial. Like you mentioned, Colossus. Um, yeah, I mean, it's interesting stuff. From a uh, meta, uh, not maybe not meta, but a just a production standpoint, I guess. Cause, like just the think thinking of thinking of the idea of having like a Cyclops series, you know. But in in execution, yeah, it was. I know uh, it was trash. It was lackluster. Yeah, for it sure. It was like so many so many ways you could have done that series, and I don't know. Yeah, like, maybe, that's maybe something. Oh, maybe that's something that we're. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, maybe they weren't allowed to bend continuity, you know what I mean? Like, It feels like it. Yeah, so they were probably stuck with these storylines that wouldn't affect anything that was happening in the main Marvel Universe. So they had to be light in tone. They couldn't do anything with massive consequence or repercussions. So that's why you ended up with Star Fox and Slag yeah. from Wolfpack. <laughs> yeah, everything, almost everything in it feels like it would be a backup story in an annual or... Just something that they found like in Larry Hammer's desk as they were cleaning it out. Bingo. Just uh, nothing, nothing all that great. Uh, you know, we have Weapon X, of course, which you know defined Wolverine, but everything else kind of, yeah. I mean, that's we actually have a segment on from Claremont to Claremont where we look at Marvel Comics presents, and I mean, we had like a Spitfire backup, and we're not talking about the new universe. We're, we're talking about, I think, a Golden Age character that they brought back for a minute. Yikes. Um, Volcana had a had a story. Uh, Solo had a story. <laughs> oh, very... Solo oh, hated boy. that character. Yeah, not not great. So yeah, um, the, as a concept, super cool. Just like Action Comics Weekly, just uh, giving giving some characters and some creators the opportunity to shine. But unfortunately, that's a lot more interesting in concept than it is in execution most of the time. 
But uh, back to what's this guy? Michael Higgins. Back to his story here. He also works on Conan, The Nam, and quote others. Ugh. So. I mean, he, and and he answers his questions in like full paragraphs. So we're gonna just distill this dude down. We're not gonna be reading all of his amusing anecdotes and uh, attempts at humor. Uh, his past freelance work includes that he worked on like all the books. But ask him if, but ask him again in a few years on the unemployment line. Um, his current freelance work. He recently plotted a Hulk story with. Her, is it Herb Trimp or Herb Trimpy? I, I never know. I, well, I guarantee you, whatever it was, Trimp or Trimpy, I guarantee you that good old Herb took full credit for that. I guarantee <laughs> you. <laughs> no, his hobbies include comics, painting, and the Grateful Dead. Go figure. Ugh. Now, most proud of, he says, there ain't no such thing as something I'm most proud of. And yet he does drone on about this concept for very for several sentences. Ugh. Pet peeves, millions of things, but mostly lying. <laughs> yes, exactly. And I bet he also read Infinite Jest and Dune, of course. <laughs> I think he wrote laws. both of those. He <laughs> wrote both of those. Um, Perfect. <laughs> he was born in Brooklyn, New York. Actually, Bay Ridge, Brooklyn, New York. I'm actually surprised he doesn't actually go into addresses here because he is very, very detailed. Um, his greatest accomplishment outside comics is a Bee Gees song. Staying alive. <laughs> Man, this is like pulling teeth here. Oh. Or maybe it's, this is what it was like in like the post-shooter Marvel office, you know what I mean? Keep on moving or I'm next. So <laughs> when they say you're featured in bullpen bulletins, you know, it must be like, they must cringe thinking it's like almost like an obituary with <laughs> a poster demotion or a termination, you know. He got lucky, you know. This His straw actually said profile while the other three <laughs> got killed with a hatchet. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to change offices. I don't want to die. Uh, his oddest habit is staying up all night for no reason. <laughs> it's because he's worried for his job and his life and basically pacing the floors and biting his nails all the time. That's mm. where we were at Marvel's at this time. Who would play him in a movie? Dead John Belushi, alive Howie Mandel. Because oh. those two guys look alike. <sighs> Was Howie Mandel ever cool? Let's be honest. No. The, o the only thing that I can think of was, you know, in the 80s especially, was his stand-up with his Bobby impression, which was basically a small oh. child. You know what I mean? Like this Man. kind of crap, you know what I mean? And it came off more like a pedophile or <laughs> mentally unwell man than funny. It was really uncomfortable. It's like when Uncle Sal wants you to sit on his lap. Get up here now, boy. Come on, <laughs> sit on Uncle Sal's lap here. You know what I mean? It's disturbing. And they even made a friggin' um, Bobby's World cartoon. Oh, and it sucked. It was trash. Mandel voiced it and everything. It was tragic. Hmm. I mean, I'm thinking we have him pretending to be a young child and then putting a condom over his head and blowing it up with his nose. That's that's basically <laughs> what Howie Mandel did. And, uh, so bad. And he was uh, he was Gizmo in Gremlins. What? Yeah, he was the voice of Gizmo, who like said like one line. He no, was, he was wasn't. Howie Mandel. Yeah. Oh, childhood ruined. I, I'm sorry. Oh. I, I had to I had to snuff it out. I'm gonna um, go break my VHS. <laughs> and the last the last thing I think of with Howie Mandel was like he guest starred in uh, an episode of Superstore a couple of years ago. Oh, and, that's good. And, and he's just sitting there like a creep eating a bag of baby carrots, and it's like, Ugh, <laughs> what is this guy? Oh, they played up on his creepiness, did they? He is. You know, I don't know how you can't. He's <laughs> he's an odd duck. Um, he is. Now, why did Mr. Higgins choose comics? Because he loves comics, and he wanted to work somewhere fun. 
Uh, he didn't know that his good buddy old Jimmy Shooter was going to get white vanned. <laughs> and he was probably next, just a matter of time when. Trust no one at Marvel, I tell you. No one. DTA. Now, uh, people in high school thought that Michael was weird. And they were right. <laughs> good call on that. His favorite performers, guess what? It's the Grateful Dead. No. Um, Bag of weed, yeah. anyone? <laughs> I was going to say, uh, I, I remember hearing a joke like, what do, what do people at a Grateful Dead concert say when they run out of pot? What? This music sucks. <laughs> oh. Um, <laughs> it's also uh, he likes John Lennon, and maybe you can help me with this one. He likes Jorma Kalkanon Kauka, and Melanie. Oh, that there's no. I have no idea what that is. I don't you can it. you can have those as your favorite performers, brother. I ain't fighting you. I, I was gonna say that could be animal, vegetable, or mineral. I'm not sure. Um, <laughs> the last good book he didn't read. Uh, German old by Emil Zola. Nope. <laughs> and the complete Van Gogh by Jan Hulkser. Oh, of course, Van Gogh. I mean, let's face it. That Van Gogh was like a almost like a picture book, like a coffee table book. So sure. it could be entirely possible that he probably skimmed it or something, but I don't think he's read any of that stuff. And nothing like a nice, phony, pretentious coffee table book. You know, you ever you ever see that? You ever go to somebody's house and they've got this one book and you know that not only that they haven't read it, they probably don't have the intellectual capacity to read the book that's <laughs> even on their coffee table. But. It's just for show. Just you don't, for don't sure. see it much anymore. I used to see it a lot. You know what I mean? A few of my friends, they would have this one well-placed book on the coffee table. And... <laughs> it's like uh, when you watch a uh, – like when you see someone doing like a video on, on YouTube or something, and they always make sure to have like that one like really – they don't draw attention to it, but there will be like one pretentious book on their on their shelf because they're hoping that someone in the comments will be like, oh, you read that. Oh, oh you, I, I couldn't help but notice you have infinite jest on your on your uh, bookshelf there. <laughs> oh, and, they, uh, would th- they would think that my uh, my bookshelf is crap with ElfQuest, Bone, and Green Lantern. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Now, this good movie this fellow saw was The Mission. Yeah, I probably no should have researched is. to see what that was, but I didn't. Um, his biggest influence include Stan Lee, Roy Thomas, Jack Kirby, Don Heck, Steve Ditko, Neil Adams, Barry Smith, P. Craig Russell, and a zillion more. Oh, you know, after that list that DeFalco and the boys are up in the offices and they're cursing and swearing, he checked all the boxes, we can't fire him this month. <laughs> <laughs> and he also continues to give the, quote, pretentious answer, which he says is the pretentious answer, heaven forbid. He says, uh, the impressionists, including Van Gogh. Oh, how precious is this? Zowie, wowie, look at me. I like Van Gogh. <laughs> Go out and help Hammer do something, for Christ's sakes. This is horrible. <laughs> it's funny, because, like, Van Gogh is the one we all know, you know? <laughs> Give me it a name is, that yes. we have to actually Google. Oh, boy. <laughs> now, his greatest unfulfilled ambition is to create an entire comic book all by his lonesome. Uh, now, I don't know if he's going to be around when good old Todd, you know, the Todd father and uh, and good old Robbie Liefeld are going to hit because, uh, you know, they hit the big time. So they, I think he was shit out of luck and he missed out on all that Malibu <laughs> money, you know, unless he wants to work on something like the ferret or something, which was probably perfect for him. Probably, probably the, the ferret. How many issues <laughs> of the ferret do you own, Chris? I own the one that's shaped like the ferret's head. Oh, you got this. You got the special edition. That's the only one I have. Yeah. yeah. Cause it, and I only have it because it's shaped like the ferret's head. <laughs> I bought uh, it too. It's awesome. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I could that, that might be the only issue of the ferret they ever put out. Um, I own six issues of uh, of different ferret uh, appearances, <laughs> including the protectors. Nice. 
<laughs> uh, uh, the uh, the worst part of his job is going into the office every day. So uh, I, I guess it's a good thing that Jim Shooter's gone because probably nobody notices this dude sh- showed up or not. <laughs> you know, maybe the I don't know. I don't. Maybe the Grateful Deadiness is just not in the office on certain days. Who knows? <laughs> um, when nobody's looking, Michael doesn't look either. Yeah, I think when nobody's looking, he hands it resumes. <laughs> He's cursing himself. Damn it. Pacific and continuity are closed out. I wonder, will now comics hire me to do Terminator or Rust? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> now, what the people need to know. Here he writes like two paragraphs that say nothing. Um, it's just so many words that don't say anything. Um, and thankfully, we're done with this one. Man. You know, these... These profiles started off really fun. <laughs> uh, not, not, think, this isn't, yeah. They're running, running out of people. They're, they're running out of profile people, yep. It'd yeah, be interesting is, to see where it goes. Oh, boy. Maybe maybe we can do like a Tom DeFalco redo. You know, we can, he's like, <laughs> since you've been promoted, did you change the answers to your questions? You know, yes, I have new inspirations. Let's do it. Um, Love it. Now, the Mighty Marvel checklist, Strike Force Moratorium number 18, has no blurb. Again, no blurbs at all. Shucker. Who's running the place here? I mean, Dude, they're really trying to sell this list. book, man. Man, they're yeah. doing everything in their power to push this book. It's just not selling, Chris. I don't oh. understand it. Yeah, it's like I'm, I'm looking at this checklist here, and uh, there are it's just a list of books that you wouldn't know what was happening in any of them. Um, man. Yeah, really counterproductive, I think. Why even bother including it? It's, uh, yeah. What do you end up? I don't know, man. But that is the entirety of the bullpen bulletins page, warts and all, or warts is all, maybe. Um, <laughs> but we do have some ads, and uh, the theme of this month is, I guess it's like free offers, because almost every single ad we're going to discuss has free offers. It's, it's um, like it's like a free offer of, hey, come in the back of my van, little girl, I got candy. It's like, this is what these, this is what these free offers are like. <laughs> Very sketchy. <laughs> rough stuff. Now the first one is Konami wall posters, which is uh basically box art for your wall. Man, I'm all in for this. I love Konami games. I don't know about you. I mean, mm. some of my favorites were like Castlevania 2, Contra, Track and Field 2. I mean, those were those were games I grew up on, man. I, that I, you know, sitting in my <laughs> sitting in the the depths of despair in my uh, my own little room there, I played the crap out of those games. But man, those posters were fairly big, too. You see the size on those things? Yeah, pretty big. Pretty Man, big. It, it's amazing. I didn't know anybody who had these. I would have no, died. No, I never even like, knew those existed. Yeah, I know. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure I've it. seen this ad Contra. a bunch of times, but never never saw it. Never saw them in real life. I know. I would have loved a Contra poster. I mean, geez. Yeah, for some reason, it's not even pictured here for some reason. I don't know why. Mm-hmm. We have it in a little coupon. Contra is listed as one of the of the offers here, and it's uh it's funny you get you get a free one. You put a dollar in the mail for postage, and they'll send you a poster. But if you send seven dollars and fifty cents, they'll send you all ten. God, <laughs> that's a great deal. Holy it cow! Is. It is. It is. I, I wonder if it's if these things are on toilet paper, but I've <laughs> never seen anybody who owned them. So uh, there you go. That's hilarious. We have an ad for Star Games, which has like the like the the the, the derpiest looking alien on it. It, oh, it just looks boy. it looks like a like we have a pug, and like when he yawns, he makes like a very like derpy face. This looks like a pug yawning. It's funny. Um, <laughs> now this one, you get free. There's a free offer. You get a hundred pre-drawn dungeons usable oh, for any RPG. Shit. 
Mm. Well, think think about this. What is the most outside of blogging? What is the most <laughs> unrewarding hobby in the world? What do you think? Mm, drawing dungeons. You got it. Dungeon making. <laughs> Think about it, spending hours and hours making a dungeon on paper, filling mm-hmm. it up. You got special items, you got traps, and, you know, you build in stories, stories yeah. and all that stuff. And when someone enters a room and it's like, you know, you're, you're playing the game and all that stuff. And it's like, what the frig, bro? You know, go left. And, oh, God. And not only that, it's it's generic. Like, people could mm-hmm. literally miss your entire dungeon. You spend all this time and they could choose another room and never go in there. You know what I mean? <laughs> and plus... It's generic, so it can go with any other role-playing game. I can see me now using my, like, Batman role-playing game and chasing the Joker through, like, the dungeons of Gotham City and trying to incorporate that into play. <laughs> Come on. There's a treasure chest in the middle oh. of this room. <laughs> and I've, I've seen some of these dungeon maker people. I mean, they're, they're, some of these people are scary individuals, and that's not, that's not typecasting people, but uh, there's, you're a special breed of asshole when you're a dungeon maker. <laughs> Oh, boy, can you imagine just getting a stack of 100 of them here? That's, that's <laughs> wild. Um, now, something you don't get for free is the Marvel Colossal Conflict Trading Cards. Ooh. This is a 90-card set from Comics Images, and uh, if you want it, you need to pay $14.95 plus a buck for shipping. Well, I mean, you get the entire set at once, which is kind of cool. You, you collected the original Marvel Trading Cards, correct? Not these, but yeah, like the Marvel Universe series, uh, one, two, three, four, yeah. Yeah, so I didn't have the Colossal Conflict cards, but I did have the original Marvel trading cards, you know, volume Mm -hmm. one, you know what I mean? Sure. And they were all the rage, man. First when they launched, my friends were headhunting these bad boys. They bought pack after pack, just accumulating like stacks of like the same card over and over again. Sure. And mostly I was like, I was strictly, strictly a comic guy, so I didn't really take the bait up front. But I happened to go on a camping trip to the big city with my parents one time, and uh, we went into a comic shop, and I bought some great stuff. All number ones, by the way. I bought, <laughs> you know, the new Legion of Superheroes number one. I bought Am- Son of Ambush Bug number one. And I even, one guy tried to sell me Watchmen number one, and mm-hmm. I turned it down because I wanted Sonic Disruptors number one. <laughs> oh, you poor fool. <laughs> because it was cheaper, see? Oh, <laughs> what, a, what a guy. But anyway, in amongst of all this, I, I asked him, did he sell Marvel trading cards? Yeah, he said, I got the whole set here for 16 bucks. I'm like, what do you mean the whole set? He said, no, I've got every card here. And he passed me oh, a wow. bundle. And it was all of them, every single card in the set for 16 bucks. Did it include the, the were, there, were there holograms in the first set? Uh, I don't think it, I think it was the base cards and two specialties. I think okay. that's what they were. But uh, it, I had the whole set. So I go home and I'm just like, Oh, I, I got them all, guys. And my friends are like, what do you mean you got them all? There's no way you got them all. And they started going through them. They're like, oh, my God, he's got every one of them. And it was like the most underwhelming collection I've ever got. I got the whole thing, like, in one drop. <laughs> Here my friends are, like, going from store to store every week, cleaning out boxes. And I just get them in, like, one little set. <laughs> yeah, it's like, which is the better option there? I mean, because there is a lot of fun in digging and Because, I, I mean, I've told these stories before where, like, you had the playground rules to buying cards and stuff and like it's like okay well if the box has you know four you know four stacks of decks or of packs you know you go to the top left corner you dig four down and that's where the special card's going to be and you had all these like weird urban legends about like how to buy cards uh to the point where like the stores would actually mix up the cards to you know bust up the the you know the the scam you know and uh 
And I mean, there was so much fun in that. And I, I like you have, uh, have done both. I mean, I've, I've bought packs and I've also bought sets and buying the set is, is kind of just like paying a bill. It's like, it is, man. It's cheating. Yeah. It's like, you just, you, you, you fork over the money, you get the set and then you're like, okay, now, well now what do I do for the next six months? I look at them. I mean, I, I, it's not like I'm buying them or finding them or hunting them down. And they weren't, they weren't even like factory packed, you know what I mean? Which was, which was even worse. They were wrapped in saran wrap and they had like, they had a price tag and they had a little checklist of every card that was in it. Now he, it was true. He had every card in there, Mm -hmm. but man, unsatisfying, underwhelming. Absolutely. Absolutely. Speaking of underwhelming. I'll take a photo of them after. I've just recently found those. Yeah. Very cool. Uh, speaking of this, of, of, of underwhelming here, uh, Sonic Disrupt is number one. Do you have any memories of that? <laughs> yes. Outside oh of the God. horror of passing, passing up Watchmen number one for <sighs> Sonic Disruptors number one. I didn't know what Watchmen was at the time. Sure. Who did? It yeah. It didn't feature any characters, and I had seen Sonic Disruptors advertised in comics. The so, United States of Rock. Yes, baby. And it was everything that I thought I wanted, and I didn't oh. want any of it by the time I read that thing. It was crap. Oh, man. It was the, like the worst satire. Um, solicited as a 12-issue series. Canceled after <laughs> seven on a cliffhanger. <laughs> garbage <laughs> thank god oh I don't, so bad i don't i don't think there's any sonic disruptors podcasts out there just saying <laughs> now there is you just put you just put it into the atmosphere um now another uh, ad we have here it's more free stuff uh adventures oh. by mail now, oh uh, man yes a sketchy little ad that promises two turns of a play by mail game it says no strings attached send no money Oh, man, I don't know about this. This is shady as (laughs) but uh, it's like I won these uh, try this. You know, you get two turns, then you pay type of thing. I'm sure that's what it was. But just think think about this. Imagine how long two turns would take when each game takes four to six weeks for delivery. You'd be a a minimum of three months to play just two turns. (laughs) I think this is one of those things where they're, they're going to get your address and all of a sudden you're stolen in the middle of the night (laughs) in a white van. You know, you wake up in a hotel room with no hair, one kidney and no testicles, (laughs) no strings attached. They use, (laughs) you know, you know why there's no strings attached because they're using cable ties. That's why. (laughs) No, this is creepy, man. There's something really, off with this whoa yeah yeah it's like they're definitely building like a like a uh an address base or something here they're you're, you're gonna be your address will be sold to uh to to mail spam you know it's a uh, weird it's like when you see like the like the the villain in a movie or something or in a tv show and they've got like the chess by mail and yeah. they have like a chessboard set up in the middle of their parlor and and like every so often they'll walk over, they'll open an envelope and they'll move a piece or something. <laughs> <laughs> I oh, don't you, have you the never, attention span for that. You never know what you're getting when you go through these little ads, man. Oh, true, true. Uh, now our final one here, another freebie, a free offer with two exclamation points. This is for Script City. You can get a giant catalog of movie and television scripts. Hmm. That's really hmm. odd. You know what I mean? Have you ever ordered anything that where you got to get the catalog? Because I've only I've only done it once. 
Mm. But man, what you get in the mail is is uh, is suspect to say the least. It, it it's like somebody typed it up on a typewriter. There's no yes. like no graphics or font, and it's just basically what it is and the price. There's almost mm-hmm. no explanation of anything. So it could say like Star Wars Episode One script five bucks, and that's all it would say on the page. You know what I yep. mean? And then in the back it just says send nine million dollars here for this script. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like they're really totally. really weird. So one of the ads I used to see in a uh, in a comic book was make your own hovercraft now. Send yes. send uh, send money for detailed instructions. Mm-hmm. So I did. <laughs> and man, so it was a series of photocopied pages. Okay. From an instruction manual in Chinese. No. Yes. Now the, the, wow. di- the diagrams were, it's almost like someone wrote it in marker on the side in English of what to do. Insert A into B. You need these items. And someone had it like written in handwriting, photocopied wow. on the other side of the Chinese. It was brutal. Now, I, only, I think I only spent a, I don't know what it was. Was it 75 cents or a buck to get that little? Probably. In for, yeah, it wasn't very much, but boy, you didn't get very much for your money. And I'm sure this uh, this Script City thing is much the same. Man, I I ordered um, back in the, uh, the Pro Wrestling Illustrated uh, magazine. There was like a how to become a pro wrestler book that they were no. selling. Uh, some awesome. shady, some shady dude had a, taken out an ad, a very very small ad, just like these, where it's like you know find out you know the secrets of becoming a professional wrestler. Send I think it was like five dollars. It was probably eh, early mid nineties. I was a teenager, and you know I sent this thing off and was psyched to find out you know the secrets to how to become a professional wrestler, and. Uh, <laughs> Dude, it took like six months, and uh, and what I got was like like take two pieces of um of like typing paper or like printer paper, fold them in half, like like you were making a little booklet out of them, with basically handwritten addresses to like Larry Sharp's Monster Factory or, or, or like this like here's some phone numbers to call so you could start you know paying someone to train you to be a wrestler oh my god are you serious uh, yeah I, I probably still have it somewhere in the garage but i mean <laughs> oh, you... it was garbage and it was like i was so psyched and uh you know the rug was just yanked from under me it was uh, so it was such a such a disappointment oh man if you find that you have to post it i can't wait oh, totally totally i got to i got to do some <laughs> digging because that was and it's like you get it and you're just so embarrassed that you fell for it. <laughs> like that was like the main my main takeaway was like, wow, I'm a sucker. This is <laughs> they, they saw me coming and I sent them money. <laughs> but anyone can still do that, you know what I mean? You can you could literally do something up and I mean with computers this day and age, you can do graphics just as good as I mean, you could honestly do oh, yeah. better than this Star Games ad, I guarantee you that. Oh, oh yeah, goodness, yeah, absolutely. So I mean, but, uh, you, can make, you can make your product look professional with just like basic templates for free. Sure. Oh, 100%. 100%, right? yeah. I think I think we're wasting our time here on this podcast. We can be out sending little uh, little insert ads in, in books. I think we need to do that. I, I know they still produce uh, the Grit magazine that's full of these sort of things. Uh, we could, uh, oh, we could yeah. get uh, we could put some ads in Grit. <laughs> yeah. I love it. No strings attached. We just no. need your address and your email address. Sit in this bathtub. <laughs> I'm going to go get the ice. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, that's a, oh, that is Strike Force Moratory issue number 18, cover to cover. Um, 
we loved the story. Everything else, maybe not so much, but uh, <laughs> but it, it is the story we're paying for, and it is the story that is uh, keeping us uh, going along for the ride, and uh, we still love it. So that's a good thing. Indeed, my brother. It was literally. Uh, I'm surprised that we're this far in, and it's still so great. So uh, exactly. It it, exactly. it it makes showing up on Mondays fantastic. So True still that. loving it, brother. Yes, sir. Absolutely. But uh, before we go, uh, you got any uh, any any plugs or or you know drops? Well, my God, if you checked out over on the um, over on the Claire from Claremont to Claremont podcast, you could hear mm. myself and Chris discussing the uh, the last days of Todd McFarlane over on uh, on X Force, and he combines his. Uh, adjectiveless spider-man book in a uh two-part crossover which is done sideways yeah, <laughs> with good old rob epic. lightfield yep cash and bags of money and uh we go into <laughs> great gory detail about the the entire book and how deep of a storyline that it actually is oh, oh boy. boy yep so check that out it's from claremont to claremont episode two just dropped yesterday and it's a good one sir and you might hear more of those little profiles so uh you never know who who might appear on those but i guarantee you it's infinitely more interesting than the one we had today hundred <laughs> percent you can also check me out on the uh, the good old twitter i'm at charlton underscore hero and uh, that is me and we'll see you next monday certainly certainly you can find me on the twitter machine at ace comics also on all the programs uh, from claremont to claremont did drop this weekend it was 12 hours long. So if you have 12 Ooh. hours to spare, definitely consider giving us a listen. Uh, it's a good time. We had a we had a great time uh, chatting and putting everything together. There are 10 of us involved. Uh, not all at once, so don't worry about having 10 people talk over one another. It's a one-on-one every single time for every single segment. But uh, that is there waiting for you if you do decide to check it out. Um, also, daily at chrisisoninfiniteearth.com, I'm in Marvel May because right now I hate DC. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> you, you got the burnout. You you covered every book from its beginnings to its end right now. So I might. I feels like I have. Uh, ever <laughs> since I read that uh, that flash forward miniseries from earlier this year, I, I have just you. not. Oh boy, it it put what it hammered the last nail into my uh, into my contemporary DC fandom. <laughs> And it's gotten to the point where I could review books that I love back from, you know, the yesteryear of DC Comics. But every single time I write a piece about it, I'm always comparing it to what's happening today. And I I feel like that's doing everybody a disservice, including myself, because I'm not having a good time writing that. So (laughs) I figured it was uh, maybe the best best cause best case of action to maybe take a break from dc and just do uh do some of my favorite marvel stuff and it's been a few days so far and i'm having it's like a a rebirth of sorts i'm having a good time revisiting some of these books that i haven't read in uh well over a decade so good time there so if you're interested in my thoughts on marvel comics uh other than strike force moratory and uh the 90s x-men definitely check out chris's on infinite com. but uh uh, we also have chrisandreggie.com, 90sxmen.com, uh, all the places where you can, you know, find stuff uh, by us. Uh, but I think that's probably all the time we'll take up for you today. I uh, want to thank you so, so much for hanging out with us today, and uh, we will talk to you again real soon. See ya! <laughs>